Hi, and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. I'm John Seipert, pastor of Preston Highlands Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. On this podcast, I'll be addressing questions that members of our church have sent in regarding the sermon I preached last Sunday. If you'd like to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. Or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to john at PrestonHighlands.org. Over the last two Sundays, I preached on the church's gifts. And what I mean by gifts are the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit that come into each believer's life as uh, or when we're saved, we're obviously um, given the Holy Spirit as a down payment, but also the New Testament makes clear given gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. And two weeks ago, we looked at the four different gift lists in the New Testament and talked a little bit about each one of those gifts and what they are and how they could function in the church. And then last Sunday, we looked at seven broad truths about the gifts, primarily from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and uh, Romans 12, and also addressed a couple of common questions about the gifts. This is a huge topic of debate in the church, and I in no way plan to answer and settle, uh, answer every question and settle every debate. I I don't uh, even claim to have a position uh, yet on uh, the the main debate that rages on the spiritual gifts, and that's of course the debate uh, between charismatics and what's called cessationists, those who believe the spiritual gifts are still available, the miraculous spiritual gifts are still available in the church today, and those who believe that they're not. More on that later. Yeah, this is a huge topic of debate and discussion in the church and has been for some time. And I'm still doing a lot of thinking in my own life on this and reading and trying to understand what the Bible says and to piece it all together in my own mind and, and for my own sake. So I don't claim to have all the answers, but uh, there are some really good questions that came in from the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to do my best to address four of them. So question number one. Pastor John, you mentioned serving in the church as the means to finding out one's gift. How does that work in detail? (laughs) How does that work in detail? Or particularly, how did that work out for you? This is a really good question. Essentially, the question is, how do we discover our gifts as we serve the church? I said at the end of the sermon on Sunday that the way to discover our spiritual gifts is to just start serving, just start doing whatever you can to build up and strengthen other people's faith. And as you serve, you will begin to discover and discern your gifts um, along the way. But I, I also made it clear that discovering your gifts is not the most important question. It's it's really not even the basic problem. Not knowing your gifts is not the basic problem. Our our lack of desire to serve others is a more basic problem. In other words, we should want to serve others because of what Christ has done and because of who he is. And so we should want to, out of that overflow of grace, extend grace, love, mercy, and, and help to others. 
And as we do so, we might discover what our gifts are, but we might not. We might not. And that's okay. So I don't, I want to say at the outset here, I don't ever want to say that if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then you're a bad Christian. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, then you need to get your act together and start serving more. <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I do think that as we serve the church, ordinarily, we will start to pick up on what our gifts are and people around us will start to pick up on what our gifts are. But it's not a foregone conclusion that as we serve the church, we will know infallibly, we will have a strong confidence in what our gifts are. But I don't think God wants us to be in the dark about this either, or there wouldn't be all these passages in the New Testament. So as we serve the church, as we seek to strengthen other people's faith, I think it makes sense that we would start to discern what our gifts are because God lifts, lists all these gifts in the New Testament. And I think it, it, it would be kind of unnecessary for him to list them if he doesn't want us to know what they are, what ours are. So again, here's the question. How do we discover our gifts as we serve the church? And then how did this work for me? Well, first, broadly speaking, the New Testament doesn't tell us exactly how this works. But as I said on Sunday, if the gifts are for the purpose of building up the church, then a way to discern what our gifts are is to find out what we do that most builds up the church. In other words, if the gifts are to build up the church, then the things that we do that most build up the church are likely our gifts. What are the things that we do that are most helpful in strengthening other people's faith? What are the things that you do in the church, to the church, for the church, that are most helpful in strengthening other people's faith? Where is there fruit in your ministry? Where is God producing fruit? in your ministry. Now, please, as you hear me talk like this, don't assume that I'm only thinking about what you do in the church building on Sunday morning from 1030 to 1230. That is just a small microcosm of our life together. I'm talking about all the different things we might do together when we gather together and also as we get into each other's lives throughout the week. So what are the things that you do that most build up the church, that are most helpful in strengthening other people's faith. And uh, you're probably thinking, well, John, that's the question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to know that. Well, two practical things, and I uh, mentioned these on Sunday. I'll mention them again. Two very practical things I think we can all do and must do if we want to discern our gifts. First, you have to start serving the church in various ways. You have to start doing something. You have to start going out of your way to strengthen other people's faith. You got to look for ways to serve. It might start by serving in the sound room or serving as a greeter on Sunday morning or serving in the kids' classes or in the nursery. That's a way to serve, but those are by no means the only ways to serve. It might start by uh, having people over to your apartment or to your house for a meal. It might start by seeking to serve someone in need. It, it could be any number of things. It could be just going to our deacons or our elders and saying, where are their needs in the church? Who has a need? Where are the needs? What can I do? I just want to serve and I don't even know where to start. We would love to hear from you if that's you. The, 
the point here is that you have to start serving. You won't discover gifts if you aren't serving. Gifts are for the church, so you have to serve the church to discover them. Now, as you do that, the second really practical thing you must do is start talking to other believers. As you serve these believers in the church, start talking to them. And as I said on Sunday, just ask them the very basic question. Hey, brother. Hey, friend. Hey, sister. Uh, what do you think my gifts are? You know, I've we've known each other for a while. We've kind of done some stuff together. What do you think my gifts are? And have that conversation. They They may have no idea. But they may have a really good idea and they may be wrong, but they may be right. I mean, you never know that conversation might go. I don't I don't think that God wants us to discover our gifts on our own. In fact, if we're left to ourselves, we might get it wrong. We're we're generally more uh, charitable towards ourselves than we should be. We think too highly of ourselves than we should. We might assume that we have this great and spectacular teaching gift, but you know, when we start talking to people in the church that, that are under our teaching, um, they might say, well, you know, I don't actually think that you're a very good teacher. I mean, you're saying right things, but it just doesn't strike me as very helpful or engaging. And so we need to talk to each other. We need to talk to each other. We need to be humble enough, courageous enough just to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, what do you think my gifts are? What do you think my gifts are? This is a huge hugely important step in discovering your gifts. So again, start serving and then start talking to people about your gifts, what they think your gifts are. Let the church affirm the Spirit's work in your life. There is one more subjective piece I'll add, and then I'll talk just a little bit about my experience. Um, what I've talked about so far is pretty objective. I mean, I, I think you can you can do these things and find some objective help. More subjectively, there's this idea of, you know, our gifts, our spiritual gifts may be the things that we're most naturally drawn to, things that we get great joy out of doing. Um, now, that doesn't mean that everything we enjoy doing is a spiritual gift. You know, I love running, but running is not a spiritual gift. I love reading books, but reading books is not a spiritual gift. Um, but there is something to say about if the Lord has gifted us in something for the good and benefit of others, then it's likely, it seems reasonable to think, that He's also going to give us a joy in doing that thing for the church. So, for example, you know, I love preparing to teach and preach, but I don't love preparing meals. <laughs> I just don't, and I don't know if I ever will. I mean, God can change anybody. But Susie will tell you, I'm just not super happy in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, I'm, ha I'm happy to serve where and when needed, but I'm, I don't get joy or pleasure or delight out of preparing meals. I do get joy, delight, and pleasure out of preparing meals from the Word for the people of God. And so that's one subjective way I think the Lord can affirm our gifts. What are the things that we're most naturally drawn to, things we get joy out of doing. What are, just think of it, friends, think, what are the things that you like to do in the church? What are the things that you like to do, whether anyone sees it or knows about it or even cares, whether there's any recognition or not, what are the things you like to do? I think that answering that question could help you 
discover your spiritual gifts. And quickly, the way this worked in my life really is a combination of all this stuff that I'm talking about. As I began following Christ and serving Christ and wanting to serve Christ in, in my, my college years, I was around a bunch of Christians and I was serving in churches in various ways. And I, as I mentioned last Sunday, I just started doing a number of different kinds of ministries. I did service projects. I did mission work. I did evangelism. I did teaching. I did prayer. Uh, we did construction stuff. We did acts of mercy and help. And I, I led some student organizations on campus and, and on and on. I was a youth pastor in a local church. And through all of this, this combination of experiences over four years, the Lord began to make it clear not only what things I enjoyed, but what things I was gifted in and what things were a benefit to the body of Christ. And so as I went to college, I, I, I had a feeling, I had a thought, I had an inclination, a conviction even that the Lord had called me to preach and teach. And so specifically on that, as I started having opportunities to teach and preach, I found that I loved it. I found that I just wanted to do it forever. I found that I couldn't get enough of it. I just wanted to read books about the Bible all day long, and that's pretty crazy. No one wants to do that. And I also found that when I spoke, people listened. And I literally had a friend of mine tell me that one day and after a theology class. This friend was like, hey, you know, John, you have teaching gifts because when you speak in class, people listen. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? No one, no one cares what I, what I have to say. I'm just, you know, I'm just asking a question in class or whatever. But it was highly, highly encouraging to me that a sister in Christ noticed something in me in that moment. And then as I went to serve as a youth pastor and I was teaching and preaching to the gathered church on a regular basis, I had people in the church and my pastor and the elders affirm me there. Then I became a youth pastor in another church and had uh, more and more opportunities to preach. And it seemed that everywhere I, I was able to preach, there was, uh, there was positive feedback. There was especially among leaders and, and godly men much older than myself. I remember several occasions in several churches that I served uh, before coming to Preston Highlands, several occasions at several churches where older godly men came up to me and said something to the effect of, John, I think you should preach. <laughs> and uh, it was so encouraging, so affirming that the Lord had indeed given me this gift and that I wasn't crazy for thinking that I should do this for the rest of my life. Um, so uh, that that's just one way. And then there, there was some fruit that came you know, along the way, people coming to Christ, people growing in Christ, people being helped in their faith through um, teaching and preaching, my, my preaching and teaching. So the Lord was using those gifts to strengthen other people's faith. And then those other people were communicating that to me. And um, so the Lord confirmed this. And, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm very convinced what my gifts are. I, I don't really doubt them at all. But I tell you, that was not the case at age 18, at age 19, at age 20, at age 22. There was still a lot of question in my mind about what on earth God had gifted me to do. So brothers and sisters, get out there, start serving, start doing everything you can to strengthen other people's faith. 
particularly, especially in the context of your local church where you actually know those people that you're trying to help. And those people can then speak back into your life and help you discern your gifts, help you think through what you're actually good at, what's helpful, what's what's um, building up the church. So excellent question. That's number one. We have three more and I aim to go through these questions a little bit more quickly. Question number two. The Bible says that we are all given different gifts for the church to work together. Do you think it's possible over time that our gifts would change with time depending on the needs of the church or if we switched churches? So to summarize, the question is, will our gifts change over time as our church changes or the needs of our church change or if we change churches, if we switch churches? This is a great question, a really thoughtful question. And unfortunately, the New Testament doesn't give us an answer to this. Not that I know of. If I'm missing something, please let me know. I can't think of a a place where Paul uh, or any author of the New Testament addresses this. So I think it's possible that, that our gifts could change as our church changes or if we change churches. I don't think it's probable, though. I don't think it's probable that our gifts would change. I, I can't imagine that if I were to go to another church that I would cease to have a gift of teaching. Now, what might happen is if I were to go to another church, there might already be great gifts of teaching in that church. And so my gift of teaching might not be as needed. So what might happen is some of my other gifts, maybe we might call them our more secondary gifts, would be needed and would be brought to the forefront in my ministry in that church. So I don't know that our gifts would change if we were to switch churches, but our our gifts, our use of our gifts might look differently as our churches change and as we switch churches. I don't know that God would change our gifts, although he's sovereign over the gifts. He has every right and prerogative to do so if he wants to. I'm just not sure that he will change his gifts in us or to us um, as we change, as our churches change. Now, as churches change, though, uh, again, I want to stress this, that it might mean that our the function of our gifts might change. The, the stronger gifts we have might not be as needed, and the weaker gifts that we have, this is assuming, of course, that we have more than one gift, um, my, the weaker gifts that we have might be more needed in the church. They might be brought out to the forefront. God, what we know for sure is that God wants to meet all of the needs of his church through the church. So this may mean some members are using gifts that aren't their primary gifts. Some members will, will be using gifts that are their gifts, that they're truly gifted in these things, but it might not be their main primary gift. God will meet the needs of his church. And he, in this great, you know, display of wisdom and creativity, he puts diverse, very diverse people together um, in churches and promises to meet the needs of those churches through the members, through the members. So I, I don't think that a church will ever lack the things that it needs, the gifts that it needs for its upbuilding, for its edification. So good question. Let's let's go into question number three. Question number three. 
Point number five in last week's sermon was there are no spiritual gifts that are inferior or superior to others. How do you reconcile this with 1 Corinthians 12, 31, where it says we are to earnestly desire the higher gifts? So again, if there are no gifts, if no gifts are superior to others, what do we do with this text in 1 Corinthians 12, 31? Again, it says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. What do we do with a text like that? Or a text like 1 Corinthians 14, 5, where Paul says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, I think the way to understand 1 Corinthians 12, 31 is through 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5, Paul says prophesying is greater than tongues if there's no interpretation of the tongues because it's more edifying to the church. It builds up the church more. So when he says it's greater in verse 5, prophecy is greater, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, he can't mean better than or superior or more spiritual because, as I said on Sunday over in chapter 12, he's just got done making the case that no member of the body is inferior and no member of the body is superior. All members of the body are equally valuable to Christ and to the body of Christ. So what does he mean then? If he says the one who prophesies is greater, and if he doesn't mean they're greater in value, what does he mean? Well, again, the key is right there in the text. He says, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Prophecy is greater because it has a more immediately edifying effect on the church. It builds up the church. It edifies the church more immediately with greater profit. No pun intended. The higher gifts, back over to 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. The higher gifts, by the way, are what he's referring to in verse 28, chapter 12, verse 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So he kind of does do a little bit of a, a ranking system here. He says first prophet, uh, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then he lists, kind of lumps all the others in, in one category. So the, it seems to me that Paul means that the higher gifts are apostleship, prophet, prophecy, and teaching. And so when he says desire the higher gifts, he's referring to those word gifts those word gifts, apostleship, prophecy, and teaching, these word gifts, these, these members of the church who will have giftedness in declaring and relaying the word of God to the congregation. These higher gifts, then, weren't greater necessarily because they made the people who had them greater in the church. They were greater and to be earnestly desired because they had a more immediately edifying effect on the congregation. That doesn't mean that those who have them are more value or more worthy or more spiritual or more godly. It doesn't mean that those who don't have them are less valuable or less godly. I think it simply means that those gifts, those word gifts, 
are more immediately edifying in the church. And we should, the text says plainly, earnestly desire them. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now this question leads us into the fourth and final question that we'll cover today. And that question goes like this. Is the practice of prophecy in the church equivalent to that practiced under the Old Covenant? If not, what differences do you see between them? This is a great question. We might say it this way. Is New Testament prophecy the same as Old Testament prophecy? Is New Testament prophecy the same as Old Testament prophecy? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> as I said at the beginning of the episode, there's a debate that rages on amongst Bible-believing, conservative, evangelical, even Calvinistic Christians between what's called cessationism and continuationism. Cessationists believe that the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous gifts of tongues, miracles, and prophecy ceased. They ceased, so they're cessationists. They ceased at the time of the after the time of the apostles, and they're not available in the church. Now there are some variations among cessationists, by the way. There's not just one strict way to be a cessationist, but I won't get into that. The continuationist folks believe that these miraculous gifts did not cease with the apostles, but are still active and available to the church today. So depending on where you fall in this debate, it will uh, you'll answer this question differently. Is New Testament prophecy the same as Old Testament prophecy? Well, what we know for sure is that Old Testament prophecy was infallibly the word of God. When the prophet Isaiah said, thus says the Lord, whatever he said was infallibly, inerrantly, authoritatively from God and to be obeyed. Same for all of the written prophets or any of the Old Testament prophets that we find in the Bible. So Old Testament prophecy was infallibly the word of God. There's no question about that. Cessationists believe generally that New Testament prophecy was also infallibly the word of God. That New Testament prophecy was also infallibly the word of God. They will say that this is why Paul in Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Because these the apostles, we know who they are. They're the authorized representatives of the Lord Jesus who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus and spoke in his name authoritatively. And then, But Paul says the foundation is built on them and the prophets. And so the cessationists will say, well, then the prophets must also be able to speak in a way that's infallibly authorized by God. Because the foundation can't be changed. We can't have a fallible foundation in the church. So a cessationist will believe that New Testament prophecy was infallible. And there are some differences on how they parse that out, but that's generally what the cessationist would say. The continuationist, however, believes that New Testament prophecy is not infallible. It's not infallible, so it's not like Old Testament prophecy. It can contain errors. So it's not like Isaiah saying, thus saith the Lord. It's not infallible. It's not inerrant. It's not authoritatively binding on all Christians everywhere. 
New Testament prophecy, this, the continuationist would say, is not infallible. It's not the same as Old Testament prophecy. This was what, why Paul gives the instructions he gives in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 32, and 37 through 38 about the spirit of prophets being subject to prophets. And, you know, all prophecy must come up under the authority of the, the apostles. And then why Paul can say over Paul can say over in First Thessalonians 5, 20 through 22, that we should not despise prophecy, but rather test the spirits, hold fast to what is good, abhor to what is evil. That there is a discernment that must take place, a testing that must take place when a prophecy is given to 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 try to figure out if it's from the Lord or not. Because prophecies aren't infallible. So I, as I said earlier in the episode, I am still wrestling with this question. In fact, I have a stack of books in front of me now that I plan to dig into even further later this year as I think through this issue. I'd encourage you, brothers and sisters, to dig into this issue, to read the Bible. Read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Read these texts over and over. Study these texts. Get your hands on good books about these texts. Wrestle with these questions. I'm not prepared to come down on one side or the other. I see pretty good arguments being made on both sides, to be fair. And if you would like to dive into this issue some more, in our church library, we have a book by Thomas Schreiner called Spiritual Gifts, What They Are and Why They Matter. He's a cessationist and makes a good case for a really, a really fair case, by the way, on uh, or for cessationism. And I love what he says at the very beginning of the book. He says, look, I might be wrong about this. <laughs> and then he makes his case. We also have a book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts by Sam Storms. Storms is a continuationist. So you can read that view. And then we have Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, Four Views, that covers all four views on this topic. So dig into these resources, keep learning, keep studying. I hope this has been helpful. Until next time, I'll see you later. That's all for this episode of Wednesdays in the Word. Thanks for sending in your questions. If you want to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. Or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to john at PrestonHighlands.org. Until next week, may God use all of us for His glory in this generation.